Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters, without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the 7 most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about 7 minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome to the latest edition of 100, the Ed Gordon Podcast. Today, a conversation with one of the most successful musical teams of all time, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, as a combination writing and producing team, have more number one records than anyone in the history of music. James Samuel Harris and Terry Stephen Lewis attended the same high school, but met in an Upward Bounds program and discovered they shared a love of music. They would form bands in their hometown of Minneapolis, and eventually they would become part of the band that was put together by a rising musician also from the Twin Cities, Prince. Both Prince and the time took the music world by storm. But the truth was, to a great degree, the time was simply an extension of the genius that was Prince. The two musicians were too big to be in the shadow of the prolific Purple One. They would begin producing music on the side, a no-no as far as Prince was concerned. So, when they missed a gig, Prince fired them. Jam and Lewis had their first big hit, Just Be Good to Me, with the SOS band. 
And from that point on, they would become a behemoth in the music business. The list of artists they've given hits to is a who's who. New Edition, Usher, Yolanda Adams, George Michael, Boys to Men, Mary J. Blige, Michael Jackson, and of course, his sister Janet are just some of the artists they've collaborated with. And many of the songs they've written for others are now classics. That's the way love goes. On Bended Knee, Saturday Love, Can You Stand the Rain, Let's Wait a While. This time, they've kept the songs for themselves. Talking about all the things he's gonna do to you But he gets you home Coming up short, making all them excuses Well, you better off Their latest project, simply entitled Jam and Lewis Volume 1, is their first as the artist. They called on some of their friends, including the likes of Babyface and Mariah Carey, to help make their debut album. Jam and Lewis have already solidified their place in music history, alongside other great musical teams, including two gentlemen who created The Sound of Philadelphia, Kenny Gamble and Leon Huff. Over the years, those two legends have given direction to the two men who followed in their footsteps. That's where I started our discussion. I was talking to um, a mentor of, of, of the both of yours and someone I think who, um, who you may have patterned yourself after. Uh, we had uh, uh, Kenny Gamble on with us. And uh, yeah, yeah, the great Kenny Gamble. And we were talking about the fortuitous nature of he and, and Leon meeting in an elevator in a you know music publishing business, and I think about you guys um, meeting, going to the same high school, but meeting in an upwards bound program and and going from there. How much do you guys believe this was divine intervention at the end of the day? Absolutely, divine intervention. Absolutely. I mean, we always say. I mean, one of our sayings is music is the 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 divine art, um, and the reason we say that is because very simply. If you think about something that holds the key to every emotion, every memory that you have in your brain, I always will say to people, I'll say, I'll, you know, just name a date, you know, I'll say, you know, May 25th, of, you know, 92 or whatever it is. And uh, people will go and they'll try to figure out what they were doing and what was going on. But if I play them a song from that date, everything comes back to them. Yeah. Not only remembering the, the, the song, but obviously the atmosphere, the temperature, what they were doing, the smells, whether it was somebody cooking dinner or, you know, the perfume that your girlfriend had or mm-hmm. whatever, all of those memories are there, which means it's all there in your brain. You just can't recall it. But as soon as you put music to it, all of a sudden that becomes a soundtrack. And that to me is divine. There's no other way to call it. And certainly myself and Terry meeting was divine. I mean, this brother has been my whole life, literally for, you know, 40, well, we've known each other for 40 plus 40 years. Actually, almost it'll almost be 50 years, I think, next year that we've known each other. Wow. So, yeah. yeah, you call it divine or meant to be, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Terry, what about what, what Jimmy just said there? I think music, more than any other art, really can take you back to that spot. I mean, we may see a movie that we watch a hundred times, you may see a picture that you love and it may bring you joy, but the sensory of a particular song really does take you over and can take you literally back to that day. Well, music is one of those things that, that 
penetrate your soul. And so everything, it reveals everything from the inside out. And when you think of music, I always say music sells everything but music itself in this day and age. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, music is important in film. Music is important even on talk radio. People play music. Music is that thing that connects everybody everywhere. And it's that, that universal language that binds us all. So, you know, music is certainly that, that important piece that we all need. I, I can't even imagine the world without music. And I'm talking about just sound. Just when you, you hear the birds tweet, that's yeah. music. Yeah. The melodies that they tweet, the rhythms that you hear when the, uh, the cars go across the road, those, those rhythms and those melodies are all part of what you access as life. You know, um, so, you know, music is a, just a life force of its own. You know, it's interesting, too, because there's been a, a, I think one of the things that the pandemic has brought, obviously, is a lot of Zoom uh, calls like this. Mm -hmm. But the way I look at it is that a lot of times when you're on a Zoom call and there may be, you know, I don't know, 100 squares of people on that you're watching on your screen and you see young and old and black and white and you see all the different, you know, people. And everybody could be speaking languages. They could be in different parts of the world. You put a, you put a song on. And all of a sudden you see everybody going like this yeah. at the same time. It's the ultimate communicator. The ultimate uniter is what music is. And it's united Terry and myself, like I say, for almost 50 years. So there you go. Yeah. And, and the rest of us probably for 40 with you guys. I mean, I, yeah. I met you guys, I'm sure the first time when you were with the time, but obviously got to know you as you guys were, were growing uh, as you have had the opportunity to look back now, because I tell people, you know, there'll be people who come to me and will know every bit of an interview I did that I forgotten until they told me about it. Right. So when you're in the midst of it, you don't necessarily see the bigger picture because you're in the eye of the storm. But now that you guys have had this opportunity and I know it's a little trite to hear um, it being said because everybody says it, but you all have really created the soundtrack of, you know, a couple of generations uh, you know, of their lives. What is it for you guys to look back and look at not only the longevity, but the sheer brilliance now that lives? I mean, you all will be named with the great songwriting and producing teams of all time. This is, you know, not me just patting you on the back. That's just fact. What's it like for you guys to 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 be able to look back on that now? Well, it's wonderful. I think longevity <clears throat> was you can't really plan longevity, but I think it was part of our our thought process. And I, I, I remember back when Control came out with Janet. So that was 35 years ago. And I remember the first interview we did, which was kind of a local boys make good interview with a local newspaper up in Minneapolis. Um, the reporter said, first question was, how does it feel to be the hottest producers? And we said, don't really want to be the hottest producers. We just want to be warm for a long time. <laughs> and so when we said that, he kind of thought about it for a minute, and then we moved on with the rest of the interview. <clears throat> so it was interesting. Five years ago, we did the Unbreakable album with Janet. And uh, the record you know, album was number one. The single was 12 weeks at number one or whatever. Uh, and he said, how does it feel to have records, number one records in the 80s, 90s, 2000s, and 2010s now? 
you know, four decades of number one records. We said, well, remember what we told you when you first interviewed us? And he said, what's that? We said warm for a long time. Mm -hmm. And he said, yeah, you did say that. I'm like, yeah, because that was always our, our intent, I think. So you never know. But what it does is it the decisions you make as you're making music, or as you're choosing people to work with, those collaborations and, and those relationships, to me, we always took a long-term view of it. You know, we did everything in the moment. We enjoyed all the moments, but it was always with a long-term view of wanting to be around for a while. And so to me, we're in that phase of our life now where we can make a record that we want to make. Um, not, we don't have anything to prove, but we still have a lot to say. Um, and that's kind of the, the phase of, that we're at in our lives. So we're very appreciative of everything that's happened, but there was a kind of a goal to try to achieve that. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, the most important part of it is the journey itself, too, and the people that you meet along the way. And that's been especially just a blessing, you know, um, to know these artists, producers like Gamble and Huff, who are mentors, Clarence Avon, and <laughs> many, many people that, that have touched our lives in so many different ways, man. And we are truly, truly blessed. And I always say, man, this is a great journey, and I hope I never arrive at the end. Yeah, yeah. Special. It's great that you brought up Clarence's name, though we can't share most of the stories we could tell about him. <laughs> Those are the best. That, that is the man right there. Let me ask you guys something, and I mean this as no shade to any other producers, but over the years, there have been, to your point, Jimmy, hot producers or producers who, you know, had their had their peak moments. They may have gone on for longer, but had their peak moments. But there was a sound. I think about someone like Kashif. You know, there was a Kashif sound without question. As great as he was, that sound was Kashif. I even think about Kenny and 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 um, and L.A. They have a particular sound. Now it has it has grown and flourished, but when you hear it, what I think is unique about you guys, and and you hear it in this latest project, I think is if someone said to me, "Well, what's the Jam Lewis sound?" I don't know that I could particularly point to it specifically because what you all do, in my opinion, is and you hear it on this latest project. We'll get into in a in a few more deeply, but. You tailor the sound to the artist, seemingly, to me. I mean, what you do for face sounded like a face record to me. You've got Mary J on this project. It sounded like a Mary J record to me with your unique twist to it. But is that fair to say that in, in lieu of finding a kind of uh, Jam Lewis sound, you all have said, let's tailor it to who we're working with? Yeah, that was very intentional when we first began. And I think a lot of it might have started because our origins as artists, at least as people knew us, was in the time. And the time obviously sounded like Prince. And for good reason, because Prince was producing and doing those records. But I think we had a sensitivity towards the artist and always wanted to always felt like let's not give the artist something that we would give to some a different artist. Let them be unique in what they do. And I think the Taylor analogy is right. We always thought of ourselves as tailors. Now, it's funny because Gamble and Huff, actually, their first uh, little company, I think, was called Taylor Made. Mm -hmm. And the idea was to make songs that are tailored specifically for the artist. So when you say Babyface sounds like Babyface or Mary J. Blige sounds like Mary J. Blige, that was always our intent to, to do that. And like a tailor, 
Like you can walk in and you can, you know, listen, you, you wear beautiful clothes all the time, Ed. So you can walk into a store, you can pick something off the rack. You can, you know, do a little alteration and just a beautiful suit looks great. Or you can go to a tailor and you can look at a bunch of different fabrics and pick the fabric you like, pick the color you like, figure out your lapel. What kind of lapel do you want? You want double breasted, single breasted. You want a, a double vent, a no vent, you know, all of these different things at the, when that suit gets done, that's a suit that you wear. Mm-hmm. Nobody else can wear that suit like you. And that's the way we always thought of our productions and our, and our writing the songs. So we always got the artists involved in the writing process because we wanted them to be saying things that were, you know, true to their heart and authentic to them. Um, and so that was once again, very intentional in what we did. And so, um, and matter of fact, it, you mentioned Babyface. It was funny because when somebody heard the new Babyface record, and I think they, I don't think they were meaning it as a compliment, but they were like, I'm not sure about the Babyface song. And we were like, how come? And they said, well, it doesn't really sound like you guys. And we said, hmm, well, what do we sound like? Mm-hmm. I said, I don't know, but it doesn't sound like you guys. And I said, well, we wanted to make the most Babyface sounding record we possibly could. So actually we take that as, oh no, we said, what does it sound like? And they said, sounds like Babyface. And we said, exactly. Yeah, that's ding, ding, ding. Like. <laughs> that, right? Because that's what we set out to do. So that was always our intent. And I think also when I talked about longevity, I think that was part of the, the, the thing. When we did SOS Band, and this was, I guess, in, back in the day, I guess you could think it was risky, but it wasn't risky to us. Like when we did SOS Band and that happened really big, people came to us and said, hey, man, give me another one of those, mm-hmm. like other artists. And we Which go, is what the industry always does, right? That's what it always does, right? And we kind of said, no, we're going to do something different. And I remember we did, like when we did um, Sherelle Didn't Mean to Turn You On, or we did... Um, change a heart by change, or we did Alexander O'Neill or whatever. Each one of those had a different sound. But then when we got back to SOS band, we did a song called just the way you like it, which was obviously the follow-up to just be good to me, but that felt good in doing that. And mm-hmm. we would switch instruments. We would switch everything to try to give everybody their own sound. That was then. So that was always kind of our, our, our process of doing. It. Let me ask uh, Terry and for you guys, and, and I don't know if this is true of everybody, do you all find it easier or is it the same ball to write versus produce? Um, or is it all one, you know, assembly line for you? That's a great question. Uh, for us, we are musicians first, songwriters second, mm. and producers third. <laughs> because the only way that we started producing is we couldn't get anyone to actually do the production on our songs as well as we thought we could mm-hmm. and as well as we thought it should be done and we feel comfortable with because it's, it's like when you create a song it's like a baby you want to dress it a certain way you want to have it feel a certain way and look a certain way and we just didn't get it from other people doing our songs. So we had to learn to actually be that person or those persons to make that song look and feel like we wanted it to feel. And uh, we thank everybody that gave us the opportunity and Clarence being the one that gave us the most freedom because Clarence never judged us on what we did. So we, we'd say Clarence, like, okay, you want to hear so-and-so? We got this SOS song, man. It's, it's, it's really dope. Whatever you, you want to hear it, you're like, no, I hear when it's done. <laughs> right. <laughs> and that spoiled us. And so yeah. 
that became kind of the, the, the image that we recreated in every scenario. Like anyone that tried to meddle with us, we never worked with. <laughs> it just, it never happened that way. What's so it been, it, what's it been like for you guys to, to beat the average? I talked about producers who have their moments and I think every artist has their peak years. You know, I think about the greatest of the great. Stevie Wonder had peak years. He might've been great throughout, but it's like an athlete. You have peak years. Um, you can be great your entire career, but you have those peak years. You guys are defying the odds to a great degree. Um, you know, you may have peak years volume wise, but quality wise, you guys, you guys are beating these odds. What do you, what do you attribute that to? I think a lot of it has to do with the artists themselves because the artists are really the inspiration for the songs, uh, that we write. So I think that has a lot to do with it. Um, I also think the fact that we're a team has a lot to do with it. There's moments where, um, Terry talks about it all the time now, where there was a moment where he he was just basically kind of disillusioned with the whole process and everything that we were doing. But then Usher was the person that brought him out of that because he finally felt, oh, wow, here's someone that inspires me to want mm-hmm. to write songs, you know? So I think we we both had those moments um, in our kind of over our lifetimes and over our careers, but we always help each other out of those moments. And so we always used to say we have no slack because we pick up each other's slack. So mm-hmm. we have no slack. So um, I just think that all of that kind of goes into it. But the artists at the end of the day, to me, are always the inspiration for creating any song that we do. The artists may be the inspiration, but the team of Jam and Lewis are the creators. I ask about their special duality. I shared a story about a talk I had with the founding members of the OJs. I remember talking to um, Walter Williams and Eddie Levert about this, and I said to them, it's great for me to see people who realize what a, a team effort is. Not everybody can do that. And I said, as great as Eddie is and as great as Walter is, I said, you guys could go and do solo stuff and you'd probably be decent. But together, there is something magic about the two of them that that separately they just wouldn't have. Did you guys find that with the idea that, you know, we might be able to go and as we've seen many production teams and do some stuff solo. But together, this thing is too magical. Well, when you think about it like that, yes. (laughs) But we've always given each other autonomy to do whatever we wanted to do. Right. You know, I might do a project by myself. Jim might be do a project by himself or whatever. But we always come together at some point in time and check in with each other to make sure that we can contribute in any way that's necessary. Sometimes the artist doesn't need that much attention. Somebody has to back up. Right. You know, sometimes artists need both of us there every day. And there's times that we are like that. But, you know, the freedom to be whatever we are. And the morphing that ever we need to be is what's important. That that is so important because it you never get stifled. And the other thing that helps us is just our musical bag of tricks, which comes from where we grew up. We listened to every style of music mm-hmm. possible, just because that it was all around us. You know, we listened to rock, we listened to pop, we listened to R and B. You know, we listened to, we played polkas, we played blues, jazz, we played everything, gospel. That was all part of our makeup. So uh, we call that gears. 
So if you can shift gears, you can put yourself in any room and make yourself, I say, important by conversation. I mean, important by contribution, not conversation. Yeah. Don't want to get in the room and not add something to the party. I'm bringing hats, whistles, whatever, blowers, whatever you need, I'm bringing. Yeah, by, that, way, yeah. Barry, by the way, when you said that, it reminded me too that really when we set the found our foundation was really set and we shook hands. We never had a contract. We just shook hands and we just said 50-50. Okay. So it's 50-50, whatever we do. So if Terry goes and does a project, a solo project on his own, it's still got my name on it. <laughs> I'm still mm-hmm. getting 50% of it and vice versa. And there's a lot of artists that we work with that there's some artists that I, maybe I only work with them pretty much. They, Terry might come by and say hello, but that's it. And they'll swear to God, they'll be like, I don't know what Terry does. What does Terry do? And then there's our Terry, you know, Terry, they say the same thing about me. I never see jam. What's, what's jam do, you know, but that's to me is part of the magic. We're, we're solo together, I guess, if that makes yeah. sense. We're, we're yeah, no, to. that does. And, you know, I yeah. think about um, Lennon and McCartney for years, people thought they wrote together and, you know, sat in a room and that was so infrequent that, but they d- decided it's going to be a Lennon and McCartney song, no matter who writes it. And, you know, that's what it's going to be. When we return, Jam and Lewis on their new project, why they finally decided to put their names out front and why it took 35 years to do it. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. The wait is over. The shy is back on Paramount Plus, and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the South Side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn, alliances will shift, and danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash shot to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. 
Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis have always been in the background of their music making. They weren't the front men of the time. They wrote and produced for others in an era when producers weren't in every video nor having their names mentioned in the song constantly. So their new album is new territory for the two who've been around now for four decades. Their debut album as artists bring them front and center and includes a superstar lineup. Mariah Carey, Babyface, Mary J. Blige, Tony Braxton, Usher, and The Roots are just some who lend their talents to the project. But I had one more question before we got to the new album. Let me ask you this, though, before I do that, because it leads into just the sheer number of people and the talent you have on this new project. But again, going back to to Kenny and, and Leon, I remember asking them about people that they worked with and the difference in terms of people in the studio. Um, and they talked about Lou Rawls and Jerry Butler being very businesslike. Like they came in and said, look, <laughs> I got about an hour and a half. Are y'all ready? And they would come in and they were very businesslike. They knew the lyric. They knew how they were going to put it down. They laid it out. And if they didn't catch up, meaning the musicians, they were out. It was business to them. Uh, he talked about Teddy Pendergrass and them needing to tell Teddy, Teddy, you cannot bring your entourage in here, bro. This is a job for you. Who surprised you guys in the studio? Anybody? I will just say the most impactful studio moment, I think we agree on this, was working with Michael Jackson. Um, when we did Scream with him and Janet together, what I remember was after we had put all the tracks together and he finally decided that Scream was the track that he wanted to do. I remember we were recording in New York um, at the Hit Factory in New York. And um, Michael walks in and he's breaking every rule that you could possibly break. Um, he's, he's wearing jangly stuff. <laughs> he's got hard shoes on. Um, you know, and the whole idea in the recording studio is you want everything yeah. to be really quiet. So you're only capturing the voice, right? So he's breaking every, every possible rule. So as we're sitting in the control room, he puts the headphones on and Janet, the plan was Michael was going to do his vocal. Then Janet was going to do her vocal right after Michael. So Michael goes, okay, let's run it. He's very soft-spoken, very <laughs> calm, very quiet. Mm-hmm. As soon as the music comes on, he turns into the Tasmanian devil. He's like spinning and dancing and oh, and snapping his fingers and clapping his hands and basically jingling, jangling all over the studio. And it's like, first our thought was, oh man, that's that's all going to the mic. That's messed up. But then the engineer was just sitting there like, yeah, okay, this is cool. No, we're good. It was like, okay. And then Terry and I turned into like little girls. We were like, ah. <laughs> we were like fans. Like we just were yeah. fanning out. And he comes in and starts singing and it's just like amazing. And so four minutes goes by or five minutes, however long the song was. And the song ends. And then he goes, how was that? (laughs) And we were like, we were speechless. We were like, "Uh, yeah, Mike. uh, Yeah. And he goes, you want me to do it again? Oh yeah, Mike. Yeah. Yeah. yeah." (laughs) Right. We're just shocked. Janet's sitting behind us. She leans in over our shoulders and goes, I'll do my vocals in Minneapolis. <laughs> she wanted no part of following. Mm, no that. parts of it, right? No parts of it. And then, but then the funny thing is, 
just to show how competitive Michael was, we go to, after we get done with Michael's part on screen, we do, we fly back to Minneapolis. Janet comes with us. We do Janet's vocals. Janet kills it. When we send Michael the vocals, he calls us and he goes, Janet's vocals sound really good. We said, yeah, yeah. He said, no, they sound really good. Where did she record those? And we said in Minneapolis. He said, oh. He said, I'm coming to Minneapolis. <laughs> and so he happens to do his vocals too. We ended up using maybe 10% of what he did in Minneapolis because the yeah. New York vocal really nailed it. But just his competitiveness, even with his sister, he wanted to make sure his stuff was sounding good. So yeah. that was wow. great. Anybody come to mind for you, Terry? Oh, Patty Austin. And this was early in our production career. Uh, and underrated, too. Oh, Patty Austin. totally underrated. But uh, Quincy Jones gave us the opportunity to work with Patty. So we're really prepared, we think. So we get in the studio, and she flies in. And she says, okay, I'm ready to come to the studio. We're like, oh, you can rest tonight? No, she said, I'm coming. So she comes to the studio, and we bring her in. She said, okay, what's the song? So we play it for her. Great. She said, where are the lyrics? Hand her the lyrics, teach her the melody for a couple seconds. She goes in the room. She starts to sing, like the first take. Now, like, luckily we're recording, because in this day it was tape. It, was, it wasn't like Pro Tools, not where you record everything. She does the song from top to bottom. Ad-libs perfect, diction perfect, pitch is perfect. Song is perfect. At the end of the song, we're sitting there like, like in a trance, <laughs> trying to figure out what to do next. And she said, "Okay, uh, how was that? Uh, uh, yeah, that was good, Patty. Uh, uh, should I do it one more time?" Yeah, she does the same thing again, like a machine. Perfect. Everything is perfect. We're done with the song. She said, "Okay, uh, what's the next song?" We weren't ready. Wow. It taught us big lessons on being prepared. Like we thought we were a day ahead, but no, we were two days behind because she was so good and so professional. So she made us check ourselves and let us know as good as you think you are, you are not. And there's always something to learn. Wow. So I, I credit that to Patty Austin. She, by, by the way, you know what, Terry, in, in, in listening to you say that, you know, the other thing that just dawned on me, what Patty Austin and Michael Jackson have in common? Quincy Ooh, Jones. Quincy Jones. There you go. Man. Yeah, there you go. Wow. Make Let me that, take you guys to the new school. project. Um, first, what made you guys decide after these years, we're going to put our names on this and, and, and throw it out there as ours? Well, it's a long journey. It started 35 years ago when we were doing the Control album with Janet. But before we started the Control album, we had started a Jam and Lewis album, and we started doing tracks for what we thought was going to be our album. When we finished Control up in Minneapolis, um, John McClain, who was the A&R person on the project, he flies into town. We play him Control, Nasty, uh, When I Think of You, Pleasure Principle, Let's Wait a While, Funny How Time Flies. We're like, how's it sound, man? He said, yeah, it sounds really good. He said, um, I just need one more. <laughs> what are you talking about? He said, I just need one more. You know, it's like all A&R people always said that. We're like, no, nah, forget it, man. We hopped in the car. We're going to go grab a bite to eat. Terry puts a cassette in and he said, John, listen to this. This is from our album. About the third track in, John goes, that's the one I need for Janet. 
I said, what are you talking about? He said, that's the one for Janet. Play it for her, and if she likes it, give it to her. I said, what are you talking, you're just giving our songs away, man? He says, yeah, yeah. Anyway, next day we go to the studio. Janet comes in, she sits down, she's watching TV. We just put the song on. We didn't even say anything, we put it on. We kind of watched her, she's watching TV. And she walks to the door of the studio and she's kind of looking at the speakers and she points at me and Terry. And then when the song goes off, she goes, who's that for? And we said, well, you, if you want it. And she said, oh, I want it. That song became, what have you done for me lately? Wow. So it was the song that ended up launching her career, basically, and ending ours, at least as far as <laughs> our, our album. And um, so over the 35 years, literally, we would, or over the next probably 30 years, we would, when we'd get in with an artist, we'd say, hey, we're working on, we want to do our own album. Would you do a song for us? And they'd go, sure, sure. When the song would be done, they'd go, oh, no, I got to keep this for myself. Mm-hmm. And we'd be like, okay, fine, fine. You got it. So about four or five years ago, when we went in the Songwriters Hall of Fame, we were on the red carpet of the Songwriters Hall of Fame, and they asked us, what is it that you haven't done yet that you want to do? And we said, we looked over, and Babyface was like kind of right next to us. We looked over at Babyface, and we said, well, we never got around to finishing anything with Babyface, so we'd like to do that. And we said, and we never got around to doing our album. We'd like to do that. And then we said, and we've never toured uh, or done festivals or anything singing our own songs. We've never done that. So those are the three things we set out to do. The Babyface piece has come together, obviously, um, in a very cool way. Um, the album has now come together. Uh, so the last piece is the touring. And hopefully, you know, if, if all things become safe with, with COVID, um, you'll see us on the road at some point, you know, doing our, our songs. But that was the kind of the journey. And that's why it's taken so long to, um, <laughs> to kind of get to this point. We finally got selfish. Um, and we just said, we're keeping the songs now. So like when we would, you know, go in with boys to men or we go in with somebody, it's like, no, 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 we're keeping this right. So we finally got selfish. I think is the thing that, that finally made this happen. Yeah. And no surprise with the lineup that you all have. I mean, you know, people have heard the, the, the face collaboration and Mariah Carey, you dropped that one. And, and before that sounds of blackness with Ann Nesby and, and a guy that I think net, I mean, most people wouldn't know him. I'm, I'm a music geek, but um, Big Jim Wright, who is cold blooded, man, just cold, cold blooded. Yeah. Um, you know, and and I mean, the list goes on and on. Uh, Boys to Men, Usher. And and one of my favorites on it, and I told you I got it last night, is the Heather Headley uh, song, which is just monster, man. Monster. Um, Terry, how did you guys decide who, who uh, you know, you were going to put on? And and I'm sure there are people who are calling you now saying, Hey, dude, what about me? Well, you know, we had that that wish list and it's long. I mean, it's a whole lot of people that we love and that we've uh, collaborated with collaborated with over the years. Um, and they're not all on this project. Couldn't fit on one project. That would be an album that would take days to listen to. But these are the people that were available. And these are the people that we got in with and got it done with. And we love it. And I can't wait. Well, we actually already started volume two. So, you know, wow. the, the journey is so, so wonderful, man. I, I just love making music. man. I can't wait for people to hear what's on this album and what's coming in the future. Because it's some great, great music from some great, great artists. Let me ask this in relation to um, 
what you guys want to walk away from with the idea of what you're doing as artists. I mean, you we talked about it. You made your mark as songwriters. You made your mark as producers. Do you do you want to make a quote unquote mark um, as artists, or is it really at the end of the day just about the song, just about the music? Well, our artistry is in our songwriting and our production and our musicianship. That is really the artistry that we bring to it. Um, my analogy is always like, you know, there's people in, you know, if you love basketball, there's people that are scorers, right? They're just prolific scorers. But then there's the guys that are the assist guys that set the screens and get the assists and put people in position to score. That's the way I think Terry and, and myself, that's the way we see us. Um, we're not the stars of this, but we assist the stars in trying to make them look as good as possible. So that's the way, as artists, that's kind of the approach we're taking. We're writing and producing. And um, as you pointed out earlier, just trying to give everybody that quintessential record that when you hear it, you love it. It's interesting, Babyface, one of the things with Babyface that was interesting is Babyface is, he's a producer in his own right, obviously, you know, songwriter, producer, musician, he does all those things. And he said to us, he said, no, you guys produce it. You guys got it. And we thought that was really interesting. But what we realized when Babyface heard the finished song for the first time, um, he just said, man, that sounds really good. <laughs> and we said, thanks. And he says, no, that, that sounds really good. I was like, well, what do you think it's going to sound like? You're Babyface. Like, what do you expect? <laughs> But what we realize is it's different when you're creating, because when you're producing, I always say producing is just, you know, as, as Prince always said to us, choices, Terry Lewis, choices, you know, it's choices, right? <laughs> but it's also that we're listening for mistakes mm -hmm. as we're listening. We're never listening to enjoy the song. We're listening to, oh, we got to fix that. We got to do that again. We got to get that lyric better. We got to, that's the way we're listening to it. So think about all the records Babyface has made that he's listened to like that. He's listening for the mistakes. He's listening for that to all of a sudden hear himself without that baggage, so to speak. Right. I think he just appreciated himself. Like he fell in love with himself. Like, wait, I'm good, you know? And I think that's the impression that all the artists had when they heard their record. Um, Boys to Men, Sean from Boys to Men cried when he heard their Boys to Men record because it brought him back to all of the things that were important to him about music making, live strings and chord changes and lyrics and you know, modulations and all of the things that musically were important to him, he was hearing, uh, but hearing them, them, do, them do it, you know, hearing himself on that. And I think that's kind of the feeling that all the artists had when they hear the record. But I think that translates to the way the fans will hopefully accept the record and receive the record is that you will remember that moment. I remember one of the, we played the uh, album for the label and I remember there was a girl, I was just on the phone, but I remember I heard one of the girls in the room just go, when she heard the Tony Braxton song, she said, I just remembered why I fell in love with Tony Braxton. Mm -hmm. And we thought, great. So if that's the feeling we're giving you, we call it nostalgia. That's the word we use. <laughs> it's that discovery, you know, that moment of discovery when you hear new music that you really yeah. love, but you're hearing it from artists that you're comfortable with that mean something to you. And there's a kind of a magic in there or a sweet spot in there. So that's kind of what we're trying to do with the record with each of the artists. And, um, you know, it's, it's been a great, as Terry says, it's a great journey. We're still on that journey. If we ever write the perfect song, then the journey's ended. Right. So I don't think we have to worry about the journey ending because we're not going to write the perfect song. But 
I think we, but we try to do that. We do aspire to try to try to do that. You you mentioned Tony, and I was going to ask you guys this. Um, I think about marriages of male producers and female artists. So Jerry Wexler and Aretha. Um, I think about Face in L.A. and Tony, and it and and here is the brilliance of what you guys have done. It still sounds like Tony. You don't walk away thinking, ah, you know, I didn't like that. Because there is, uh, for fans, this sense of still wanting the familiar with artists. You know, I I think about James and Tume and Reggie Lucas and Stephanie Mills, which I don't think gets enough love. Um, Holland Dozier, Holland with the Supremes, and lastly, Bacharach and David with Dionne Warwick. You all obviously had that with Janet. Um, Is there a special magic that 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 male-female balance kind of wraps around at times? I think uh, the magic is just in the chemistry with said artist and mm-hmm. producer. Like we're fans of these particular artists, first and foremost, before anything else. Um, that makes it really easy and I guess pliable. We can move any other way that we need to move uh, with these artists because we're fans and we know what we want to hear from them. And generally what we do is we try to create the record that we like or we want as a fan and we hope everybody else agrees. So with the artist in mind, you want to know what they want to do as well. Try to incorporate those things and mix it up and just make it happen. I will, I will say with Tony too, it's interesting because um, <clears throat> we actually had, when we were finished with Tony's record or pretty much finished with it, we thought, we had L.A. Reid come to the studio to listen. And we just kind of wanted his, you know, input and, and blessing, you know, so to speak, because, you know, him and Babyface were the people that brought Tony into the consciousness and in, into our consciousness. And um, when the song ended, L.A. just turned around and looked at us and said, man, he said, I just feel like a cavity has been filled in my soul where I didn't even know there was a cavity. He said, I've been listening to all this music that I've been hearing recently. And he says, I'm just, you know, it's cool, but I just wasn't feeling that. But he says, now I realize what I was missing. And he said, that might be the best Tony vocal I've ever heard in my life. And we're like, thank you. So, I mean, to get his endorsement on something that he was so intimately involved with meant a lot to us. Um, And, uh, you know, so that to me, that's the feeling. But I know it's funny because, like I said, when we're producing, we're always listening for mistakes. But the Tony Braxton record to me is a record that I always say there's certain records that change the air in the room. Like, doesn't matter where you're at, all of a sudden you're in a different place when that record comes on. And that's the yeah. way I feel about the Tony Braxton record. Even though we did the record, I don't remember the mistakes. I don't remember all the work that went into it. When I hear it, I just, I go to another place. So, and I kind of feel that way about all the songs on the record now. I, we don't hear the mistakes anymore. We actually can, can enjoy it. Well, gentlemen, the new project, uh, 35 years in the making, as you suggest there, uh, Jam and Lewis Volume 1 uh, drops today, in fact. And uh, we are really excited uh, about it. Your fans, uh, I know, are just going to, uh, you know, love this. And, uh, you know, Terry, glad to hear that there is a Volume 2. And, you know, I've gotten to know you guys over the years and 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 always, always enjoy um, talking to you. But I want to, once again, as I have publicly and privately, um, you know, say thank you to two people that I know um, not only deliver songs, but 
appreciate the craft, uh, you know, of musicianship and making music. And, and that to me really at the end of the day is, is to further the basketball analogy, Jimmy, the difference between, you know, a star and a superstar is knowing your craft and being able to, to execute. So uh, always fellas, good to see you. And I appreciate you guys giving us some time. And we appreciate you, man. And we appreciate you not only for you now, but for you over the years, you've been on this whole journey with us and we appreciate your support and your love. And, and, and we, and we appreciate your love of music and the people that make music because that's so important to me that the delivery system is so important. I mean, we can make music. It's like the tree that falls in the forest and nobody knows about it. So without people like you who are championing music, just the names you brought up today from Holland Dozier Holland to Gamble and Huff to Burke Backrack and Hal David, these are all teams of people, LA and Babyface, you know, so to add Jam and Lewis in there, be somewhere in that mix is amazing. And to have our names brought up by your voice, man, is, is incredible. So thank you so much. Yes. Thank you so much. Hey fellas. Thank you. Don't forget, Jam and Lewis Volume 1 is out now. Add it to your music collection. I promise you'll love it. 100 is produced by Ed Gordon Media and distributed by iHeartMedia. Carol Johnson-Green and Cherie Weldon are our bookers. Our editor is Lance Patton. Gerald Albright composed and performed our theme. Please join me on Twitter and Instagram at Ed L. Gordon and on Facebook at Ed Gordon Media. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. 
If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.